Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is the fourth and final week of our series called Our Mission. This week, Pastor Mike will be teaching from Ephesians 6, verses 18 through 20. If you'd like to take notes, there's a link for that down in the show notes. Thanks for joining us, and without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. You know, as a church, we are trying to, um, you know, celebrate that, but part of that is starting the year Whereas we will usually go through a long section of the book, we've you know, finished Ephesians and we're gonna start Matthew in a couple weeks and we took a couple weeks off to start looking at our church mission statement and kind of reviewing that. You know, we as an elders, uh, we wrote this a number of years ago, to, it's, our mission is to know Christ, his life-changing power, to make him known. That's what we believe the Bible calls us to. And so we've looked at that and broken that down over the last couple weeks. And what does that mean to know Christ? What does it mean to experience that life-changing power? What does it mean to make him known? And then as part of that, we also have some core values that help us to know how to live this out. And one of those core values talks about the idea of the, import- and the importance and priority of prayer. And, uh, and let me go ahead and read this, this core value because it plays into even this whole mission. It's, it's our second core value. So we are committed to the priority of prayer, believing that nothing of eternal significance can be done unless it's bathed in prayer. And what we're basically saying is that in relation to our mission statement, we believe that prayer is essential. You know, because we can do all the right programs, we can you know, do all the right effort, we can really work hard at this, but ultimately we pray that God would do what God can, only God can do. We pray that God would work miracles in people's lives and that kind of eternal significance only happens through God's power. It's not our wisdom, it's not our ability, it's, it's God. And because we believe that's so important, you know, we have said, okay, as a church, we wanna make it part of our practice to have this week of prayer to, to start off the year every year. And uh, so that's gonna start again next Sunday and, and we encourage you to, to sign up on that and to participate. We'll let you know more about that even in the coming week. Um, but as part of that also, there's times that we'll say, okay, I wanna take a, a special emphasis, a, a message that emphasizes this. So actually what I'm gonna do this morning is go back to the book of Ephesians. So we were looking at the book of Ephesians and we finished that in, in, uh, in December and it was really at the end talking about spiritual warfare. And, and really what I'm gonna do now is to come back to the last message in Ephesians that I kind of put off. Uh, Ephesians 6 verses 18 through 20 to kind of finish this up because it's really this closing of, of what God is calling us to in the spiritual warfare specifically in an emphasis on prayer. Let me read, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to keep them open there to Ephesians 6, but let me read this passage to begin. He calls us to be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, to keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have to be here this morning. Father, to be able to dive into your word. Father, I pray even now that as we talk about prayer and we talk about prayer coming and, and seeking your power, your blessing, your work, Father, I pray that that is what would happen. Father, I come and acknowledge my weakness and pray that you would come with your power to speak through the power of your word, Father, to not only speak through me, but to speak to each one of us and our hearts, each one that is here. Father, I pray your blessing in Jesus' name, amen. A number of years ago when I was in Florida, I was involved in a men's, men's Bible study and it was often the case in many Bible studies like that. There's 
time that we would say, okay, well, what are prayer requests? How do we pray for each other? And I remember this one Tuesday morning, it came time to share the needs, and this one man, John, come in, and he says, oh, I've got to pray for my nephew. I've got, my, got this nephew, Jimmy, in Texas, and, and I've got to pray for him. God's laid him on my heart. He said, you know, I've been praying for Jimmy for a long time. He hasn't really been open spiritually at all. But, but in, the, you know, in the last couple of years, he's began drinking more. He's actually started to experiment with drugs. Uh, they had a surprise drug test at his job, and he got a, ba- a bad result, and he got fired from his job. Now his wife and his, is leaving him, taking his kids. I mean, he's depressed. He's suicidal. We've got to pray for him. And I remember as a group praying for him, and what was interesting is that even through the week, you know, some of us later talked, he kept coming to mind to a number of us in the groups, and we, we prayed for him throughout that week. And, but even as we think of that, you say, here's a guy that has, man, all these circumstances, that destruction in his life, and what difference can prayer make? Especially when you think about, here's this little group of men in Florida, and we're praying for this guy in Texas. Why pray? Does it really do anything? You know, earlier I mentioned that we, in November and December, looked at the end of Ephesians 6, and specifically, we looked at the section in Ephesians 6 that talked about the idea of spiritual warfare, that we're in a spiritual warfare, and God gives us the armor of God. In Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12, it teaches this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And Paul is teaching us that in the midst of the challenges of life, we have to realize that we have to start with a right understanding, an accurate understanding of our circumstances. You know, what I love is for those that, you know, kind of review for those that weren't with us, or if you, if you forgot, the, the whole second half of Ephesians is all about this very practical teaching about applying the gospel to all these areas of life. So he deals with marriage, and he deals with parenting, and he deals with work, and he deals with morality and and relationships, and all these things. And after all of that, he then ends talking about spiritual warfare. And I think the reason is, is that he's saying, okay, are you having trouble living out your Christian life? Are you having difficulty actually applying all these things that I've just challenged you to live out in life? Have you ever wondered about why marriage is so hard, why parenting is so difficult? Have you ever wondered why every time you try to do what's right, it seems like, you know, there's opposition, there's, you know, temptation, there's, there's it's tough, it's, run, it's walking uphill. And he says the reason is, is that we have an enemy. And the enemy not only opposes God, but he opposes anyone who seeks to follow after God. He opposes God's work in our life. So when we look at this, it's not just, well, we're trying harder and life is hard. No, spiritually, we've got to realize that, that a right understanding of things is that we are in a spiritual war. We have an enemy who is working against us, and, 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 and literally, the Bible talks about it in terms of warfare, very direct, very harsh words that we don't often associate with Christianity. It says, no, we are in the spiritual warfare. It's not just that we're, you know, life's hard, we've got challenges and struggles, We have a spiritual enemy, and look what he says. Again, verses 12 and 13. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Boy, that's a description of of a reality of a struggle we don't often think of. So he continues. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. 
So how do we prepare? Well, he calls us to, to, to do this by, by recognizing there's a challenge and then realizing that ultimately, if we're not only to stand in that evil day, but come out of it victorious, it's not going to be in our own strength. It's not just trying harder. It's not only just, you know, you know do better next time. It's not just by reading a self-help book. No, if we're going to be victorious, it means that we need to realize that we need God's power. We need a strength and a provision that we don't have in of ourselves. In a sense, you could say, okay, we're in a spiritual war, and to be victorious in a spiritual war, we need spiritual weapons. We need the appropriate spiritual weapons. Now, somewhat, this is kind of obvious. You know, if you look at, you say, we're in this certain kind of war, you've got to fight, you know, if you're in an electronic war, cyber war, you've got to fight that with, you know, with computers. And if you're in a military war, you fight that. And we understand it. you've got to have weapons that fit the challenge. Now, if we're truly in a spiritual war, you see, we cannot do it by, when I say earthly, by our own effort. It's got to be a spiritual weapon that God provides. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 10. He says, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Okay, we've got these weapons, and they're divine, and, they're, and they accomplish things. And what are those weapons? Going back to Ephesians. It describes them. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so he goes and he describes these different weapons, the shield and the, you know, the helmet, and the shoes and the, and the sword. Now, I'm not gonna go through and explain all these. For those that were with us in November and December, we spent time looking at each one and seeing what they mean, how, what it means to live this out. They're, it's available if you wanna go online and, and listen to those. But this morning, I want to go and look at the last part of his instruction, the part that I think we often overlook, in large part because it's not listed as a piece of armor. So I want you to notice, first of all, that when he ends here, it says he calls us to take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then there's not a period. There's a comma. It's a continuation of the thought. So take these things up, and he's listing all these pieces of armor, and then what is the continuation? Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And so it's not listed as a piece of armor, but yet it's part of that whole preparation. Why? Because I think what the idea is, is okay, you've got all the armor, but now you need the strength to use it. And, and when you realize, okay, God's called you to the fight this battle, the power to fight the war comes through prayer. And it's as essential to put on as any of the pieces of armor. In fact, we really can't use the pieces of armor if we don't put this piece on. Now, what I, it's teaching here, I think, is easy to miss in part because of there's an unexpected nature of it. See, part of it is we may look at it, we, we think of this as this call to battle, and we think it's, okay, it's something that we're to do, and battle is active, and, 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 and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's fighting. And, and so we almost expect him saying, okay, you're in the spiritual warfare, now go, you know, go put on an arm, go fight, go. But what does he say? You have the armor on, go pray. Okay, we got it already, go have a prayer meeting. You, you know, no, we're supposed to go do something. 
And I want to go fight. I want to go protest. I want to go argue. I want to go debate. But pray. That seems passive. You know, I want to do something that really matters, and that doesn't seem to really make that much of a difference. You know, and even with that, we're called to pray, and that's something that most of us really even aren't that comfortable with. You know, what does it mean to pray? What does it, you know, how is that of anything of great significance? You know, if you gave me something to do, you know, go and act, that'd be a lot easier to sign people up with. But the idea of calling us to pray, when we think of prayer, we think of we go there and we're just going and our mind wanders and we're looking at the lights and we're counting how many seal tiles up here and, 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 and it just, man, it's hard to do and it doesn't seem significant. In fact, just, I found a, some of you have seen this before, but I, I love this example of, of, of somebody talking about just the challenge of prayer. And, and he's talking about how he's a new believer and he goes to church and they say, hey, we're gonna pray together. And, and um, that was just a little out of his comfort zone. See if you can relate. I remember going to church as an adult, right, for the first time when I started going to church and I would walk in and the pastor was like, he said, I want you to pray with your neighbor. And I'm like, well, my neighbor don't go to this church. I don't know if you need You want me to call my neighbor on the phone? That's creepy. I ain't gonna do that. Right, then they explained to me, right? Your neighbor is a person sitting next to you. Listen, I'm brand new at this Christian stuff. I don't, not, I didn't even know you're supposed to pray out loud, let alone with this lady. I don't even know this lady. What am I supposed to pray about? Lord, help these bumps go down on this lady's face. I don't know. If you can pray about? I don't know what I'm supposed to pray about, right? She went first. She was praying all good, and she must have been John the Baptist's little sister or something. <laughs> she was like, Dear Heavenly Father, you said in your word in the sixth chapter, the third, third verse of the book of Matthew, the 601st word on page 1248. <laughs> Lord, you said, but seek. S is in search. E is in everywhere. E is in excellent. K is in kingdom. You're the Alpha Nisi, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. I'm thinking, man, she even know his nicknames. Now, it's my turn to pray, right? But I don't got the spiritual vocabulary to just, but I'm not going to let her out pray me. So I'm like, okay, God, first of all, you are good people. You know, you are good, Lord. You are good. You are good to the last drop, Lord. Because, um, Lord, I, I just got to obey my thirst, Lord. You know, because choosy moms choose Jesus. So, Lord, because, you know, as the, rec as the rocket's red glare, Lord, it gave proof to the night, Lord. I believe I can fly, amen. See, I love that, and I think we, many of us can relate to it. I mean, we're sitting there, we're saying, pray, we're that uncomfortable with it. We're not even sure what to do or how to do it or what language to use. But this idea that it's the warfare, that it's kind of the leading edge of what God is calling us to do, it just doesn't seem to make sense. And part of that is we have to say, well, why is it we'd rather do something? Well, I think part of it is that at the end of the day, maybe we're more confident in our ability than we are in God's ability. And so I would rather do something than depend upon him. 
But prayer is actually something that God is calling us to depend upon him. It's coming in, in humility, acknowledging that we don't have what it takes. And we, we rely upon him. And in reality, it's actually an expression of the gospel. It's a, a practical expression of gospel dependence. And when I say that, here's what I think. Think about the gospel. Think about what the gospel is. How do we come to accept Jesus' gift of grace? What do we do? Well, first of all, we admit our need. We admit that we're sinners, that we're separated from God, that we deserve God's punishment, not just for the sinful things that I've done, but because my heart is sinful. I admit that I'm not only a sinner, but I have a need that I cannot fix myself. And I recognize that God has made a way for me to be forgiven through Jesus' death on the cross and through my faith in what Christ has done. Jesus takes my sin, he forgives me, he gives me his righteousness. And I express that faith and repenting and, and asking him to change me, asking him to, to, to make me become the Lord of my life and to change me to be the person he wants me to be. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. Some of you, if you've never trusted in Christ, that's the gospel. That's God's invitation to you today. Now, that's what it means to come to know Christ. But once we have that relationship, I want you to see that gospel message is the core of all of our growth. It's even the core of even what prayer is. What the gospel is admitting our weakness and our need and recognizing that God provides for us what we need and what we cannot do on our own. And what does it mean in prayer? It means confessing to God, agreeing with God. God, I agree with you. I face things bigger than I do. I cannot, I cannot do this. And God, I come and I bring my weakness. I bring my dependency. And I ask you to give me what I do not have, what I can only have through you. I need not know your righteousness. I need your strength. I need your power. See, prayer is an expression of gospel power. It's an expression of saying, God, I start that I don't, I don't have the strength. You ever feel that? I don't have the strength to fight this battle. I don't have the strength to continue on. You know, yes, I know you gave me the spiritual weapons, and, but I don't even have the strength to use them, to march out in the battlefield. And that's where prayer comes in. See, it's where we come and we acknowledge our lack, our need, our weakness, and we ask God to give us what we do not have. Do you ever feel overwhelmed? Do you ever feel like you're facing a challenge that's bigger than your ability to handle it? Do you ever feel like giving you up or giving up? Here's what I want to ask you. Is it possible that God may be giving you a challenge that's bigger than you because he's trying to teach you to depend on him in a new way? Is it possible that God actually wants to accomplish something good? See, the fact is it's hard for us to admit our need before God. We want to do it ourselves. There's a part of us, when you think of this religious nature, it's hard to come to Christ in the first place because I want to be good enough. I want to accomplish good enough. It's hard for me to really admit that need and to surrender before God. And that's true about salvation and how we're saved. But even after we have a relationship with Christ, it's still hard. We still struggle with that prideful self-reliance um, where, we, where we want to do it ourselves. And in that, God will often lovingly and graciously and painfully bring us to a point that we need to depend upon him because he will drive us to a place that is beyond our ability. See, he doesn't want us to give up. He doesn't want us to, you know, to white, raise the white flag. What he wants us to do is he wants us to, to acknowledge that need so that we can come before him, that we can find in him his provision. My friends, if you're here and you feel that 
you know, that, that you're at that place right now where you're just overwhelmed, which bigger than you can handle. See, the challenge is what are you going to do? You know, one option is you can continue to try to do it, continue to push on, continue to, to make it happen by your own strength, but you will be frustrated because it's very possible that God has intentionally put you in something bigger than yourself. Or the other option is you could give up. And I know some people that do that, I just can't do it, I just give up, and I just... Well, you can wait, raise the white flag, and, and in the process, you're going to miss out on blessings that God has for you. Or you can realize that through this, God may be trying to teach you something. And you could come to him and you can say, okay, God, I need you to depend on you in a new way that I haven't before. Experience his power. Let, 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 that, let that change you. Well, even as we come to him in prayer, we go back to Ephesians, and it says, okay, part of that is, what does he say? Um, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So, okay, I'm called to pray. It's gospel dependence, but in the spirit. What's that mean? It's calling us to spirit-directed prayer. And part of it is we may be honest and look at this and say, praying in the spirit, that doesn't seem to make sense. That doesn't help a whole lot. And, but here's really what it's talking about. It means that we align ourselves with the Holy Spirit or seek to do that. And it's an idea that at the core grows out of an understanding that we realize that prayer isn't about us trying to change God's mind about the things we want. It's praying in a way that we allow God to change our heart and our mind with his will. See, the prayer idea may be strange to us, but the Bible actually talks about it numerous places. In other places, in Romans chapter eight, it says this. The Holy Spirit tells us how to pray for, I'm sorry, I forgot to put that up there. Um, um, I'm sorry, let's go back to Romans eight, here we go. Uh, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we ought to pray for as we ought but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now here's what happens. is It's calling us to say that, that part of praying the Holy Spirit is, is letting the Holy Spirit tell us what we're to pray for. Apart from the Holy Spirit, you know what happens is we come and we say, well, here's my perception of my needs and not only what my needs are, but here's my perception of what the answer should be. And, and basically, then, prayer is all about talking. It's about telling God, here, God, let me inform you and let me try to talk you into do the things that I want you to do. When you look at the Bible, the Bible says that prayer, in large part, is also listening. It's conversation. It's surrender. So we need to realize that prayer is not just our communication of, God, of our needs to God, but somehow giving him a chance to communicate back to us. See, it's not about us changing God. That's what we often think, that we can somehow talk God into things. But prayer isn't about changing God's mind, it's about God allowing God to transform our heart through the process. See, here's the problem. It's common to see our need. And we not only see the need, but we see what we think is the right solution to meet that need. So I come to God and I say, not only is here's a need, but God, I pray that you would do this, this way. God, I pray for you to, to accomplish this, 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 and this. And we come and we basically, you know, kind of lay out to God, here's the strategy. But here's what I want to tell you in my own experience. God has often met the core needs that were in my heart, usually, almost always, not the way that I thought that he should have, that he would have. That God's strategy is often vastly different than my own. But as long as I'm not only telling him, here's my need, but here's the way that you're to work, I'm trying to inform him. You see, I'm ultimately trying to change his mind. 
And instead of just coming and saying, God, here's my need, and you teach me the way that you want to reach that. Uh, e. Stanley Jones is someone who's written on prayer, and he talks about this. Look what he says. Prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God and cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook from a boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, I do not pull the shore to me, or do I pull myself to the sh- or, uh, myself to the shore. Prayer is not uh, pulling God to my will, but aligning my will to the will of God. So it's not, I'm, I'm throwing it out there, and God is the shore. I'm not going to pull the shore to me. I've got to realize that I'm the one that's adrift. And so I'm bringing my heart, and I'm aligning with God, but I'm letting him change me. It's ultimately an example of surrender. So even if something is simple, but last week we talked about sharing our faith. And, and there's a point of even the spirit-directed prayer saying, even if I share my faith with people, I should ask God, God, who do you want me to share with? Who, who have you placed in my life? Now, on the one hand, I can know with certainty that God calls me to share my faith, that with certainty God desires people in my sphere of influence to come to Christ. I know that. The Bible's clear on that. Those are some passages we looked at last week. That's unmistakable. But at the same point in time, instead of saying, okay, God, here's my plan, my my strategy. God, here's my heart. Place on my heart the people that you want to lead to Christ. And when I pray that way, what happens, God places people on my heart he places things on my heart that are, that are the miracles that God wants to do. Os- Oswald uh, Sanders is another Christian author and he wrote about this idea. He says this, the very fact that God lays a burden of prayer on our hearts and keeps us praying is prima facie evidence that he proposes to grant the answer. Now that's when we pray in humility. Not the, you know, the, not the, not the how, but the big what. And specifically he applies this towards evangelism. And he talks about an example of this. He said, when asked if he really believed that two men for whom salvation he had prayed for over 50 years would be converted, George Mueller of Bristol replied, do you think God would have kept me praying all these years if he did not intend to save them? Both men were converted, one shortly before and the other after Mueller's death. See, that's the idea that when we come before God and let God change us, that's how God works. And prayer can be hard, and prayer, but part of praying in the Spirit is saying, God, I want to pray. Give me the ability to do that. My mind's wandering. Give me the ability. Now, where are we called to pray? Now, again, I can spend a lot of time on a lot of different aspects of prayer. There's a lot of passages that talk about what we're to pray for. For example, I think of Philippians 4, 6, where it says, anything that you're anxious about, anything that worries you, which does it say, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. God calls us to bring everything to him. But if you have your Bibles open, look with me again to Ephesians 6. What is with the emphasis here? Look at verse 18 again. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And here's the emphasis. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Specifically, he's teaching us that we should pray for evangelism, that we should pray for the sharing of our faith. We should pray for each other as we try to share our faith. We should pray for unbelieving friends that are in our sphere of influence. We should pray for God to do that kind of miracle. I love even Paul, the spiritual leader, the, you know, the apostle, the pastor of this church. He's coming and saying, pray for me. I'm out there. I, I need you to pray for me because this isn't my ability. It's God's power. I know I'm thankful for many of you who pray for me. 
It's, if God uses my messages, it's because of the power of prayer, not because of my own ability. In fact, I think of a, a Charles Spurgeon, who was a, a very well-known pastor in England, probably the, you know, the most best-known pastor in the late 1800s, built the largest church in, in uh, London, and thousands of people came to know his ministry. And he would talk about how his, his ministry was built upon the people that prayed for him that there were a group of people that every service, during the service, they would be in this room and they would be praying during the service. What a powerful thing. I would love to see that happen. Here's what he said about that. He said, your pastor may preach the same sermons to far greater effect if only some of you will determine in the unseen place to hold up your hands in dependence on the almighty God. That God works and we need to pray for each other. We need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray through this process that God would speak, that God would do only what only he can do. A part of that is that if we do that, it will give us confidence. Last week we talked about share our faith and many of us are like, I don't know really what to say. I don't know, I don't, I'm not confident. But here, the question is, is our confidence in the gospel and the Holy Spirit or in ourselves? You know why often we hesitate to talk with other unbelieving friends? Because we think, I don't know what to say. What if they ask me a question? I don't know how to answer it. I don't have the right words to say. I can, I can convince them. I'm not educated in that. Or we look at them and we say, well, I've tried, and they were really closed. They didn't want to hear about the gospel, and, and so they wouldn't ever believe. But here's what I want you to realize. What's our focus? We're looking at it and saying, I'm judging the call by my ability to share, by my wisdom, or we're judging it by their ability to believe. And the biblical focus is, no, it's not about your ability to share. It's not about their ability to believe. It's about God's ability to do the miraculous. You know, we're just planting the seed. It's just a little tiny seed. God's the one that brings a life out of that seed. Every person coming to faith is a miracle of God. And, and it's just, we can, you know, again, it's often new believers are the most effective evangelists who probably get half of what they say wrong other than saying, oh, I know as I was blind, but now I see. Christ is changing my life. And when we just share openly, and God uses that. I mean, I love the story of the Apostle Paul, who was Saul. He was out going out there at that time, going to kill a bunch of Christians, and God changed his name. Why? Because while this hardened part, this person that was totally against Christ, suddenly God meets him on this road and gives him a vision, and his life has changed. His whole ministry has changed. And God, that's a picture of how salvation happens. It's not always that dramatic, but it's always God's intervention. All we do is we bring the seed. And then we need to realize that there's nothing we can do to change God's heart. And no matter how hard they are, if God's gonna change their heart, God's gonna do that miracle. So then what is our role and what is God's role in that process? And there's a sense that we looked at last week. There is a role that we have. And I love even in this, there's a, last week we looked at Ephesians, or 2 Corinthians 5, and it talked about this idea that we are ambassadors of God, that God has entrusted to us the message of the gospel, that Jesus isn't here anymore. And so he's not preaching it, so it's his people that need to now be his voice. And so it says in verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God is making his appeal through us. That is our role. We have to do that. If we're not vocalizing Jesus' heart, then people aren't going to hear the gospel. But then two verses later, in that same section, he continues on, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So we're calling this, but it's working together with God. We're called to do our part, but yet we realize that God ultimately does the miracle. So what does it mean? 
It means, okay, let's pray. Let's pray for God to, to, God to work. And ultimately, we're coming and we're saying, God, you gave me a call that's bigger than I am. And so I'm gonna bring it before the gospel and I'm gonna say, God, I wanna be faithful. And I, that part of me means, let me start by praying for them and, and praying for opportunities and, and praying for opportunities to share my faith. And you know what, even, let me give you a, a little bit of encouragement. Any of you, how many of you struggle with, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to share my faith. You know what I find the most effective way, the way that I do it more than any other, and this is simple, any of y'all could do this? I say, okay, God, who do you want me to pray for? And then I tell him I'm praying for him. And not only that, but I'll, come, I'll go to him and I'll say, how can I pray for you? And I want to tell you, I've had people that I've done this with that are atheists, that are Hindus, that are people that have, you know, said, how can you say that to an atheist? I'll go to an atheist. I have, and I've said, you know, I know that you're an atheist. You don't believe in prayer. I do, and I think one way that I can serve you before God is to pray. I know you don't believe in that, but how can I pray for you? And they always tell me something. And if I go to them regularly and every once in a while, I've been praying for that. How's it going? I keep praying. Over time, the doors start to open up. And I want to tell you what I have found in my own life, if I do that, if I'm praying regularly and letting them know that I pray for them regularly, God will open doors. You do your part and let God do his part. In fact, let me just make this very practical, personal challenge. I'll start by saying it may be, first of all, for some of you here that you have something in your own life. Before God works through you, what's God doing in you? There may be some things that you're just saying, this is bigger than me. Well, you know, why I'm here and I've got, man, I've got anger at this person. I can't deal with it. Okay, the gospel is you agree that it's bigger than you. You ask God to give you what you cannot do. God, I'm dealing with, with depression. I'm, God, I'm, my marriage is falling apart. I cannot fix it. I can't, I won't, no matter what the issue is, you might start by saying, God, this is something that is bigger than me. I want to bring it before you. I want to bring it before the foot of the cross. I admit my need. And God, I'm going to ask you to come and I'm going to ask you to do what I cannot do. I'm going to surrender. I want you to change me. For some, that might be what you need to do this morning. For others, it's that next step is saying, okay, God is working in me, but I also want him to work through me. I want to be involved in leading other people to saving faith in Christ. Now, hopefully, when you came in, you got, uh, you know, got one or two of these. And, and here's what I want to give you a challenge for, is ideally you've got two of these. I'm gonna ask you to take one and to put, pray if God is leading you to do this, to write down three names, three names in your sphere of influence that you feel that God is leading you. Okay, these are people that I wanna pray for. These are people that I pray that would come to know Christ. And I'm gonna ask you to keep one of these. And one would be a book bookmark, it would be something you put it somewhere that would remind you on your computer, somewhere that would remind you to pray on a daily basis. And to pray for them regularly. We're gonna talk about the other one in just a moment. But, but here's what I wanna encourage you on. God works through prayer. We, some of you know we've put this challenge out before. And I have never, if I say, if you pray, pray for these three people for two years, I've never had anyone has come back and said, I've been praying for them for two years and one of them hasn't come to know Christ. I've never had that happen. Usually people are like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. I need to keep doing that. I need, oh, they haven't come to know Christ. Anyone that has come and said, oh, I've been praying regularly, they're like, oh yeah, one of my, you know, they've come to know Christ. One of them has come to know Christ. I know some people, you know, Cheryl shared, you know, it's like, I need, I need a whole new list because they've all come to know Christ. And, and that's wonderful. And I look at it and I say, I want to be part of the story where I hear stories about where people in my life, where I'm getting to share, we're lighting a candle because he came to know Christ. 
How do you do that? Start by praying. And recognize God put people on my heart and I pray that you would do the miracle that you could only do. And even then, tell them that you're praying for them. See what God does. And, and beyond that, pray that then God would give you the opportunity to share your faith. Now, I'm not gonna tell you, well, go do that. You know, go, you know like last week, go in an elevator and go and, you know, hit people over the head. No, here, just pray for the opportunity. Here's my experience. When I, I haven't done this regularly as much as I should. When I do, when I pray regularly, give me an opportunity to share my faith. It always happens. People come up to me and start spiritual conversations. They don't know I'm a pastor. When I don't do it, that doesn't happen. I don't know why. I really don't know why. I don't know if there are opportunities that I don't see because I've been praying or that God brings people to me that weren't there. I don't know. I just know when I pray, it happens. And if you, you know, you don't have to make it. All you do is just pray, God, give me opportunities Pray, pray it for, I challenge you, pray for two weeks. God, give me an opportunity to share my faith and tell me two weeks from now what happens. I look forward to hearing some really good stories. Have the courage to try it. Try it. And beyond that, pray that God would allow you to be a part of leading at least one person to Christ in the next two years. When you pray these people, pray for them regularly and pray for two years and say, God, I want you to lead me to be one person of Christ. And again, I've never had any pray that consistently where one of them hasn't come to know Christ. And I pray that God would lead hundreds of people to ministry, Christ through this ministry. But it's not gonna be because of me or my preaching or pro- programs or any of that. It's gonna be because hundreds of people say, God, use me to lead one person to Christ. Somebody in my sphere of influence, someone on my mission field, are you willing to do that? I remember even just in the power of prayer that, that Tuesday morning that John comes in and his Bible saying, I gotta pray for my cousin Jimmy and boy, he's got all this stuff going on and, and we prayed for him and it was interesting that afterwards many of us said, you know, boy, yeah, I was reminded to pray for him and, but it was powerful the next Tuesday, John came in and he says, I've gotta tell you an update about our prayer request with Jimmy. He says, well, he called me, and here's what he told me. He said he was home on Friday, and he was watching TV. He's depressed. He's discouraged. His family's gone. He's by himself. He's lost his job. He doesn't know what to do in life. He's just you know, flicking through the TV. And, and, uh, and this was back in the day when you had cable. We had a cable in the back where you kind of had, you know, it was before streaming. And, and, uh, and, he's, and suddenly the cable goes out. So he goes behind the TV and starts fiddling with the wire, and it comes back on. He goes and sits down, the cable goes out. He flips through the channels to try to see if one's gonna work, they don't work. He goes back behind the TV and he's playing with the wire and as long as he's holding the wires, the TV's on. And so he's focused on trying to fix it and then he starts to listen and he realizes that when he flipped through channels, somehow he ended up on a Christian channel that had an evangelist that was preaching an evangelistic message. And at first he's focused on fixing the TV and over time he became focused on listening to the message. So he spent a half hour behind his TV holding these cords together listening to this gospel message. And the gospel message talked about what it means to believe in Christ and the hope that we have in Christ and it challenged people to, to make that commitment to follow after Christ and, and he's sitting there behind his TV crying, holding these cords together except in Christ. And then, then he says, okay, if you did that, what I want you to do is think of someone in your life that is a believer that's been praying for you and call them and tell them about that and ask for help. So he, he turns off the TV, goes, calls, I know my Uncle John, who's in Florida, who's been praying for me, told me this week that he's got his men's group praying for me. He calls him up, he says, John, this just happened, how can you help me? 
And he said, you know, he talked with them and he got them in church on Sunday and it was neat to be able to see in the coming months that God turned this guy's life around where his family got back together. God restored the family. His life was changed. There's this radical change because God worked in a miraculous way. And here you had people praying and God intervened. And you say, that's what God does. That's the power of the gospel. Now you look at that and I will acknowledge that most stories aren't that dramatic. But you know what they in a sense are, they just aren't always that sudden. And there are many stories even in our own life, as Sandy as I reflected on, oh that thing kind of really happened, it just happened over months or years instead of over one half hour holding the cords in the back. And ultimately God does things periodically in that dramatic way to remind us that the the gospel is him working. All we do is we bring the seed, is he brings the life. And I know that, one of the things that I love sharing about that story, I've never met this guy, Jimmy. But I get to share the story as part of my testimony because I was part of the praying team that saw him come to Christ. That's all I did is I prayed. And, but, it, but when we heard that story, it's like, man, that's great. I got to participate in that. And you know what? As a church, I want to be people that not only pray for my people, but get other people praying for people and praying for other people as well so that when we hear these stories, it's like, praise God, man, I got to pray with that. that those are stories, and we get to see these candles being lit. We get to celebrate people's lives that are being changed because we're, we're in this battle together, and we're using the weapons that God has called us. Not a weapon of our own strength or our own wisdom, but a weapon of the gospel, which is our own surrender and to God's power and God's ability. In a moment, we're gonna have the team come and sing, and here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you to think. Now, some of you might be, it's like, I've got this personal thing, I need to surrender to Christ. There's a prayer request thing, write that down. Are you willing to surrender it? There may be others, I'm gonna say, for most of you, it's like, who are the people in your, in your life that God is calling you to pray for? And are you willing to say, okay, I wanna pray for these people on a regular basis? And during the song, write those down. It might even be praying about it. God, who do you want me to pray for? And, and ideally, if you didn't get two of these, there's more of these outside. Um, but ideally, you have two. If you didn't get one, you can get them afterwards as well. I want you to take one and keep it. Keep it as a bookmark. Keep it somewhere that you can remind yourself. And I want to encourage you, after the service, to consider bringing the other one and putting it down here at the foot of the cross. And saying, God, I'm committing myself to this process. I'm committing these people. And we're gonna take these, these names, and we're gonna put them in part of the prayer room, and we're gonna have a wall that's gonna have hundreds of names there, and it's this reminder that when we come together in the next week and in the next year as we pray together, that we're praying that God would lead save people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. If you wanna go deeper, you know, fill out a you know, prayer request card in, in there and write down a more specific request and, and put that up on the wall as well. But after the service, we're gonna give you a chance on the way out to say, well, if God's leading you to make this commitment, Take these names, put them before Christ, put them before the cross, ask God to work and do, God to do the things that only God could do. Praying that God, I will willingly do my part. I'm the ambassador. And God, I'm gonna come to and ask you to do, take my little act of faithfulness and through the power of your spirit to do the miracles that only you can do. And I look forward to hearing those stories in the weeks, in the months, and the years to come. And that is it for this week's message. If you have a question about the message, Community Church, or Jesus Christ, send us a text to 330-400-3242.
You can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life connect. There, you can also send in a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.